Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxwain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Is This Real Life? a Bravo podcast that relates the quirkiest aspects of reality TV to our own lives. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, real lifers. Welcome to episode 122. What an absolutely crazy week it has been in Bravo. I mean, I don't even know where to start. Like, I thought it could not get any more wild than Monique and her binder on The Real Housewives of Potomac Reunion Part 1. But then all of the stuff with Tom and Erica just keeps unfolding and culminates in her releasing supposed text messages from Tom Girardi to his mistress that could have been as old as like 2005 or 2011. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. So I am so glad that Chelsea um, from at Ono Bravo is here to break everything down with me. We get into, you know, well, it's about Tom, Tom Girardi. We get into Tom and Erica and everything that has been happening with them. We talk about her Instagram live with Katie Maloney Schwartz, which you should all go and watch on her IGTV. And we also get into this week's Summer House trailer. I have watched that trailer probably, I think, five or six times. I cannot wait for Summer House. I absolutely love it. And of course, we get into this week's Real Housewives of Potomac reunion, Real Housewives of Atlanta, and Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I mean, I just really needed this amazing week in Bravo to kind of keep my mind away from other things. <laughs> um, it's been five years since um, my apartment burned down and my mom died. Um, it was within a two-week time period. So it's a rough time of year for me. So I was just so grateful to be somewhat distracted by everything going on with Bravo I am going to be taking next week off for Christmas, the holidays, everything, just to give myself a break. But we'll be back um, in the very beginning of January with a fantastic guest and doing a year in review of 2020 and looking forward to everything happening in 2021. So I hope you guys really enjoy this podcast with Chelsea from at Ono Bravo. We have a fantastic time. Would love to hear everyone's thoughts on the Tom and Erica saga. And of course, your thoughts on any of the shows that we're watching. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Chelsea. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Chelsea from the Instagram account at Ono Bravo. How are you doing, Chelsea? 
I am doing good. I am reeling in the wake of the Erica Jane text messages. I was so excited we were going to sit down and talk today. I know. I'm so glad we're doing this. So we're recording on Saturday, December 19th. And so last night, should we just start and just dive into it? I think, yeah, I think I'm not going to be able to think about anything else until I process it with you. So let's just jump right into it. (laughs) So last night, while I was sleeping, (laughs) Erica uh, posted an Instagram and then later deleted some text messages that she claims shows that Tom cheated on her with Justice Trisha A. Bigelow. Oh, man. So a lot to unpack, including the name, honestly. (laughs) And as a Slutsker, like, I am not one to cast judgment. But Justice Bigelow is not I did not have Justice Bigelow in my 2020 Housewives bingo card. (laughs) Me either. I don't think any of us did really, really coming in hot in the last quarter of the year. (laughs) I just love Bravo viewers because immediately people picked up on the fact that one of the text messages was from July 6th on a Wednesday. And they're like, okay, that could be either 2005, 2011 or 2016. I love the viewers. I love the Instagram investigators. I was following the account Tracy Morrissey Mm -hmm. on Instagram. She was doing a full deep dive. She was going as far as to like, you know, talk about early aught fashion of, you know, the jeans because we did see the butt shot. The jeans were too high to be in 2005. So that makes her deduce that it's 2011. I just, it's such a fun community to be a part of because literally (laughs) it was like within the hour we were full Nancy Drew on the case. Like we're going to figure out when these Nokia text messages are from. Well, and it said 3G. So that made me also think that maybe 2011 Mm -hmm. was more likely there. So this is the thing. I think that Erica, you know, you can say what you're going to say about her, but she's a very bright woman. Oh, yeah. And I also have a propensity of, you know, putting on my tinfoil hat when it comes to Bravo conspiracy theories. Now, real life conspiracy theories, not so much for me. Bravo conspiracy theories. Yes, I will be into it. And I just like I feel like she it's kind of smoke and mirrors. She's kind of doing the magician trick of like, look over here. Look at these text messages, because The bottom line is like if you and your husband commit a crime, it's still a crime even if he is unfaithful to you. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, that was my takeaway. So we should backtrack a bit. So I think we first started hearing about the unraveling of Mm -hmm. Erica and Tom probably a few weeks ago. Like we knew she was filing for divorce, but it wasn't until this lawsuit from the Northern Illinois District of Illinois was about these plane crash victims. Uh, mm-hmm. the fa- Their families never got funds. And so if you read the LA Times article on Tom and Erica this this past week, they kind of dove into his practice, and it appeared that he retained 100% control of his practice. It wasn't one of those you know, legal practices where people become partner and may get a stake in the firm. It was okay. always 100% his, and he primarily took um, contingency cases. So that means that he would take on clients, and he wouldn't get paid a penny if they lost in court. 
But if they won, he could take up to 40% of the total amount. And it sounded like he made a lot of, you know, I'm going to bet the whole farm on a lot of different like things in his life, especially legal cases. And he did well. And over the last, probably starting in 2014, it became very apparent that there was some financial problems with how he was running his firm. And he would take these very high interest loans from people that were very private, like people who were giving him the loans didn't think anyone else was giving him a loan. Okay. And he would take that money and he would pay off, you know, victims of a certain, you know, like situation, right? Whether it be plane crash victims or victims from another lawsuit, he mm-hmm. would settle that money with money he borrowed, not money that was given from that case. So it's literally the phrase, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yep. Wow. So wow. he would, it was kind of a Ponzi scheme where he would use different money to pay off different settlements and keep taking out loans and it just caught up with him. And there's no money left and creditors are going after them. And they've wow. been going after them, but now it's become apparent like just how much money was involved. And at one right. point, he had somewhere between 50 and $80 million in assets and now he has less than 15,000. That is so wild to me. And just like knowing what we know. So I think it was Ryan Bailey who tweeted, like, at what point are Bravo Liberties going to stop making the same mistake over and over of going on a show and like basically flaunting your wealth and the extravagant way that you live when you know that there are skeletons in the closet? And I have to believe. Erica doesn't strike me as someone, as a woman that is going to be like a Teresa that like may or may not just let her husband deal with business and, you know, she reaps the benefits. Like I do believe Teresa probably she should have known, but like, I don't think she understood or maybe had the capacity to understand exactly what was going on. But Erica strikes me as someone who I have to imagine she knew something was going on. I can't imagine her turning a blind eye to this. She seems very bright and very, you know, I, it's just wild to me. And then literally for her to have songs like it's expensive to be me. I mean, you cannot write the irony of this story. <laughs> and during this major economic recession, when so many people are out of work and struggling, that mm-hmm. kind of flaunting is even more obnoxious. But I did my own sleuthing and Ooh. it appears, well, I, this is quite easy to find out if I found it out. She was... um listed as an officer on the board of his finance department in the law firm. Uh-oh. So that's that's bad, right? Like, Because that yeah. then incriminates her that she was involved in some capacity. And over, I don't know what period of time, there was $20 million deposited from an account in his law firm to her business account, which ran Erica Jane. Oh, my gosh. So it came directly from his business to her business, not from his business to his personal account. And then he deposited from his personal account into his wife's business. It was directly from business to business. It's just so wild to me how, like, I guess it's just, you know, when you have that much money, you spend that much money. But for me, I'm like, I hear $20 million and I'm like, I can't imagine ever even being able to get rid of that much money in a lifetime, let alone, you know, drain it so quickly that now there's $15,000 left. Like that is so insane to me. 
Yeah, it's, I just, I don't know. I mean, I think she is so guilty after reading the. (laughs) Well, it's like, it's like Karen Huger always said, you got to make millions to owe millions. And now they certainly do owe millions. And I just, do you think she's going to go to jail? Like, do you think, what do you think is going to be the outcome of this? I mean, I think he's going to go to jail. Okay. I can't see how he doesn't. Yeah. And I, I don't know exactly what will happen to her. But yeah. it's really bad. I mean, and then she started trying to sell her clothes on online. And then the judge was like, yeah, so these were clothes bought by Mr. Girardi. And therefore, any proceeds made from them go directly there because his assets have been frozen by the state. Right. And so just the fact that she, I mean, the whole thing was suspicious when she decided to file for divorce and announce that filing on election day. I was like, mm-hmm. she's doing something weird. Like, this is just I weird. I couldn't get a read if she wanted it to be buried or if she wanted it to be talked about. Because I think my initial reaction was that she wanted it to be buried. But then because of the way that the election went, that it it lasted for so long that then we all were like, I think, getting a little bit of news fatigue. So we started looking elsewhere. And then it kind of spiraled into all of, at least in the Bravo universe, all of us looking into this. And I, so this is wild to me for many reasons, is that I always believed that Erica and Tom actually did have like a love and like their relationship to me wasn't sugar daddy, sugar baby. I really believed there was like a real love there. So when I initially heard of the divorce, I was like, no, like I believed in you. We were rooting for you. (laughs) And then to hear all this, I mean, it just gets more insane every day. So I'm like, is this all, are they working together? Like, did they sit down and decide, okay, you're going to release these text messages. So it looks like I'm cheating and that, or, or is it really a woman scorned of, there was love there and then love lost. And now Erica is like, I'm done with you. I'm not going to jail for you, you asshole. I don't know. Like it sounds because that allegations that were made in that Northern Illinois district court were that they filed for a sham divorce to try and protect some assets. And I don't know why she would file for divorce now versus in 2011 when she found out he was cheating or 2005 or 2016 like why now she clearly held on we don't first of all we don't know if any of these things are true right (laughs) but (laughs) if they are she stayed with a man who was cheating and had no problem being with him as long as he was paying her bills right and she joined the housewives allegedly after that happened you know like if the timeline that the internet sleuths are saying is correct, then she actually joined the housewives and everything we've seen, everything we've known about her has been post cheating. Mm -hmm. So then why now if she's so angry about it, which is just fishy to me. Yeah, it's, it is messy. And the whole thing about looking into the plane crash victims is it's despicable. This isn't like a, this is like evil shit that they allegedly did. I mean, it's they held that money and we're supposed to disperse it. But there was actually money. This happened before. There were a bunch of women who had cancer. And, um, and the case, I think, was settled in 2014. They lived, I forgot where they lived, near some sort of power plant. I don't know. They There was a wrongful, they, okay, I'm not making any sense. <laughs> the LA Times <laughs> article 
there was money that was settled for cancer victims, people who got okay. cancer as a result of a company polluting. Okay. I think it was like Power and Electric, like Southern California, Power Gas, something like that. It was a huge, huge settlement. They did not receive the amount of money that they were supposed to. They received less. And so they started, you know, asking, you know, where's the money, ask for bank statements, and Tom Girardi did not provide them. And eventually they got paid, but it took a while. And that whole time, it was like you could uncover that he didn't have the money on hand. And he wasn't using the money that was coming in from that um, settlement to pay these cancer victims. Doesn't it just seem like it would be so exhausting to be a criminal? Oh, yeah. (laughs) It seems like that's just such like I I would not choose that in a million lifetimes to have that daily stress of like, I don't need a Mikey and a glam squad and my own little like, you know, one man show if it means that every day I'm stressed out about the fact that I literally everything about me is a fraud. (laughs) You know, I mean, she could have believed that he had everything at it together and had the money. But then why was her name on the board of his finance team at the law firm? Like, why? And she was taking money directly from his firm, which also seems wrong. Yeah, it's everything. We need a like serial style podcast that yes. really dives dives deep. Like we need somebody out there to put together all the evidence and the facts and we can, you know, speculate some more because it, I just feel like I mean, 2020 continues to amaze and and delight and shock because remember when we were all just so upset that she didn't credit a meme account and now <laughs> this like so Danielle times from like, <laughs> Brands by Bravo was on the podcast last week and we had both thought that she seemed like Erica seemed extra salty the last mm-hmm. few months like in October especially I wasn't sure if she was getting frustrated with everything with the news and COVID and the election but she was snapping at people who were you know commenting on her posts she was being really really rude and snarky and almost like trying to I don't know be I don't know I don't know what she was trying to do but it was not a cute look right yeah. And now we know there might be, well, there is stuff going <laughs> on behind the scenes. We don't know to what level, but yeah, that, I mean, her, her Instagram meltdown makes a little bit more sense if that's what she's dealing with behind the scenes. Do you think, here's a question for you. Do you think any of this is going to be shown on Beverly Hills? I can't see how they don't show it. But like, will she be able to talk about it if it's an ongoing case are they gonna have to dance around it i mean she needs the job now clearly so i mean i think she could talk about the divorce yeah right because like people always talk about certain parts of their divorce yeah i guess that could be the lens that they approach it from of talking about her leaving tom and the divorce and how messy it is and then you know they can do the flashing of the headlines as she talks about it (laughs) But I mean, she she literally like she needs the job. So I hope that she's going to be open to talking about it because it would make for I mean, I would definitely want to tune in to, to see her side of it. But I just like Beverly Hills is notorious for, you know, these stories getting leaked like that, that Dorit getting chased around in that Bahamas resort. Like mm-hmm. that was all over the place. And yeah, it's not as intense as this, but none of that was shown. So I just I, I always worry with Beverly Hills. I'm like, if we have to have another se- season of, oh, my God, we match. Isn't that so fun? when we know all of this is going down, like I might break my television. I know. 
It's and to see that Kyle and Rena are rallying around her, it, you know they're not going to take her down in the way that they tried to take Denise down. And what did Denise do? She lied about a private sexual encounter. That's what mm-hmm. she did, and it's just and lied about talking crap about people, which she should have just copped to. But it is wild that this amount of fraud is happening. And you know that Rinna and Kyle are going to stand behind Erica. So who on the cast is going to actually make the snarky comments and point out the fact that Erica has defrauded widows and orphans? I know. And I mean, maybe Garcelle, maybe the newbie. I mean, the thing about it, and this is just maybe because I'm help me, I'm poor. Like maybe I just have a, I'm like, you know, being snarky towards rich people. But I, I wonder like how much of this type of stuff, maybe not to this degree, but how much smoke and mirrors there are when it comes to wealthy people that maybe they're all not going to talk about it. I mean, you know, Dorit's not going to talk about it because then they can say, well, let's talk about your lawsuit about your alleged, you know, money troubles. I just wonder how much of it is like, we're not going to touch this because we don't want to be touched in the same way. And I don't know. I mean, maybe Sutton, like if Sutton's the only one that really has like true money, maybe she's like, I don't care. Like, come after me. I'll show you my bank statements. I'm rich as hell. You know? Yeah. And Kathy Hilton's going to be on. And that's some real money. Yeah. So maybe Kathy will come on and and do it because she she seems to not care. Yeah. (laughs) We (laughs) just like Kyle's friend. I don't care. An honest person to just point out what everyone else sees. It's mm-hmm. like the sky is blue, you know? Right. Just, yes. It's just a fact. <laughs> yeah. They're getting sued. They have no money left and they defrauded people. Yeah. And it's the more you read into it, like I said earlier, it's like, it's bad. It is ugh. like, and it is not good. It is not good. And it's not like Dorit and PK. And I'm not trying to say that what they did wasn't bad. They did settle. But it appeared that they borrowed money from people who had money. Right. They weren't they're not, going after. They're not not paying people who have already been traumatized exactly. in their lives. Yeah. There's just a difference between stealing from rich people and stealing from cancer victims and orphans. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's just a fact of life. It, there is a difference. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, we've spent a lot of time talking about this, but I just figured we had to get into it. Um, in terms of some of the other latest news this week, you had Katie Maloney Schwartz on your Instagram live Friday night. I was able to catch the second half of it. And I thought you did a fantastic job. Like, how did that come about? How was this your first time having a Bravo Lab on? Yeah, so it was really fun. I feel like she had fun. I felt like it was a good time. It was a good turnout. Um, If you guys are listening and didn't catch it, it's saved to my IGTV. Or if you want to listen to the interview like a podcast, I did upload the audio for free on my Patreon. So just a quick plug. But yeah, so she... um, it, you know, I kind of, I say that I have like a touch of Luann in me. I, the delusion is real. I have delusions of grandeur as well. So sometimes I just like, 
I don't know, I get in a mood and I just start DMing people, like sliding into DMs being like, I'd love to have you on. Like, I'd love to have you on my show. But I had seen that Katie was watching Salt Lake City and she had a lot of opinions about it. And I knew that she was from the area. And so I thought it could be so fun to kind of hear her her perspective of Salt Lake City based on her experience of actually being a reality TV star and also being from the area. So I slid into her DMs and she was like, yeah, I would love to. Um, then it was really funny. Like I threw out a date and she didn't get back to me. So I straight up subtweeted her in my stories. I was like, <laughs> like, Hey, by the way, one of you that follows me, I threw out a date. I would love to have you on. And she like was a great sport about it and was like, haha, I was actually, you know, trying to figure out I'm going to be on this season. So I was trying to figure out what episode I was going to be on, but we just serendipitously chose the 18th to go live. And it just so happened that that week was the week that she was actually on Salt Lake city. So it really worked out. She was really cool. I thought that it was a a fun time, a good interview. She talked about, you know, what she would like to see from Vanderpump Rules in the future. Um, She talked about, you know, her current status with some of the castmates. And then she did talk about Salt Lake City and, you know, her firsthand account of meeting some of the women. So it was just really, it was a good time. Um, Kristen Doty called her in the middle of it and then (laughs) she had to like block the call. Then at one point um, the doorbell rang and it was so funny. Everybody in the comments section had the same reaction as me. I'm like, is this about to be Kristen? Like (laughs) bursting through the door being like, you didn't call me back, you know? So I just, it was, it was really fun. So that was my first, like I I did, I had interviewed in the past, Ali Ashori from the Shahs of Sunset, but he, um, which was actually a very juicy interview. He just like straight up read the text messages between him and Adam. Um, that saved my IGTV too, if you want to listen, but this was my first like current cast member. And, I was very nervous, but she was so sweet about it. And just, she just seems like a really genuine person. So I kind of relaxed into it and it was kind of just like talking to your friends and shooting the shit about Bravo. It was really fun. Yeah. Who would you have on next if you could choose anyone from a current Bravo cast? I would love to have one of the Giggly Squad members. I'd love to have Hannah or Paige maybe when Summer House starts, just because they are obviously familiar with Instagram live. I also think that they would give a really good interview and like be really funny about it. I I think that they would give some behind the scenes tea. I mean, you, you came on my live, so there is something different between an Instagram live and a podcast where like, there's no editing. You kind of have to have a guest that's on and like ready. And so it it is hard when you bring people on because you're not really sure how they're going to respond to being live on Instagram. But I feel like Hannah and Paige both, obviously that's where Giggly Squad came from. So that would be really like, I feel like natural for them to come on. Definitely. Well, I want to hear what you think about the Summer House trailer that also dropped oh this God. week. Epic. Madness. Madness. <laughs> I I'm love so, it. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, I cannot wait. It seems like it's going to be a bonkers season. And I feel like there is that added element of the quarantine style that it's just quarantine house and they can't leave because I think all of us, you know, this year have experienced those moments of like, when you feel trapped in your own home, you can get a little more dramatic. Like I've had like, you know, this, these dishes, why are there so many, you know, like the things that would normally not bother you then start to bother you more. So I can't imagine a world that Lindsay is going to be activated and then stuck in her home. Like she cannot leave. (laughs) I'm like, I'm worried and concerned. I'm glad that nobody was injured. Like, because I can't imagine what that's going to be like. And then I have always been rooting for Paige and Carl. So even the like sneak peek, I am like, I would die. I would die if they got together. 
I'd be I'd be pretty excited. I'm really excited to see a sober Carl. I know he had a lot of really rough things happen this summer. His brother died, mm-hmm. and he, I think he probably left filming after that. But um, I really appreciated. I appreciate seeing anyone on Bravo that can still show their wonderful personality and be sober because we're not watching them just because they're drinking in a mess. We're watching them because they're kind of just crazy and it has nothing to do with drinking. So seeing James Kennedy be sober, you know, seeing Bronwyn is a different story because she's kind of early into it. But and then the early early sobriety is is tough and you can tell she's going through it and she's really going through it on camera. (laughs) But then you've got Carl who got sober a little bit a while before the summer Mm -hmm. started. So I'm just all about seeing it. I can't wait to see what the hell happened to Luke's face. (laughs) I hope that it's just like infamous Bravo Photoshop because he straight up looks like food god in that promo picture. Like he looks like that Kardashian friend who renamed himself food god. Like I was so troubled by that. And I, I don't know. I'm like, what has happened to you, Luke? And then they show him like with an axe and like a piece of wood, like just angrily chopping a piece of wood at the end of the trailer. And if that isn't a Northern Minnesota reaction to stress, like I'm not quite sure what is. So as a Minnesotan myself, I am quite happy to see to see that. But it's interesting. It sounds like he would brought in the new castmate that he was dating. Oh, okay. I've watched the trailer probably five times. So, so I, I knew that they were hooking up. So they were dating before the season. Well, I don't know. Okay. But yeah, it it seems it like does look like early yeah. in, into the season they're dating. And then he's throwing it in Hannah's face. Mm-hmm. And then he hooks up with Lindsay. And then Hannah and the new girl are both pissed at him. Yeah, it seems like it's not going to be a good season for Luke. I kind of feel I went on Bravo Confessionals on their YouTube channel and I said this, but it kind of feels like Luke is playing checkers while the rest of the cast plays chess. Like, I don't quite think that he really (laughs) gets the reality TV game and he just keeps like blundering, like blunder after blunder. He's just like, what? What? Like, I just it's just so Luke and it's so perfect. It'll be really interesting to see Hannah being jealous because I think she's always had the upper hand in that relationship. At least last season, she really seemed to kind of maintain control. Even when he was being, you know, a fuck boy, she still seemed to have the upper hand. So it'll definitely be interesting to see her being pissed about it. Yeah. Oh man. It's going to be so good. I just realized now that Jules isn't back and (laughs) So this was the other conspiracy theory. So, um, you know, in the in the trailer, they said 10 friends and then there was nine in the in the cast photos. So I think obviously the 10th friend will probably be Lindsay's boyfriend in the beginning. But it does appear that they have some sort of falling out or breakup, um, you know, based on the Luke and her stuff. So I wonder if he leaves halfway through and then Jules or somebody else comes back to make it the full 10. And that, that's that's based on nothing but my brain and what I would like to see happen. Although I will say, if they bring back Jordan, I will destroy my television. I cannot see him <laughs> for another moment on my screen. <laughs> he is just, I, I don't know what to make of him. But I felt like the Summer House reunion from last season was just done dirty. Like, 
they only had an hour. It was all Zoom like boxes. I felt like they Which didn't. Isn't it, isn't yeah. it funny that Atlanta gets the credit for the first Zoom reunion? And I'm like, so we're just going to pretend Summer House didn't happen? Right? Like Summer House's reunion, but it, they didn't do a good job with it. And I felt like something really weird happened between Jules and Luke, which they talked about. Like he got, they got really into it. And I think that most of the cast, aside from Hannah, felt like Luke got a unfairly good edit last season and it didn't show his true personality. That's like the vibe I got from watching the reunion. That was a very telling reunion. Um, I'm going to give a disclaimer that my toddler has woken up from her nap. So if you hear pterodactyl screams, I'm sorry, that's her upstairs just putting on a one woman show. But yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with the with that entirely. And it was so interesting to hear that behind the scenes stuff that it didn't make it on. And then it was kind of, it's almost like, it seems like if you miss something like that happen and it's not on camera, you can't really build a storyline around it. So they probably ended up cutting everything that had to do with that incident over the summer so then any, you know, talking bad about Luke about that incident was probably removed. So I could understand the cast being frustrated, you know, that basically Luke came away pretty universally loved after the season. Yeah. And I I don't think he deserved it. Mm-hmm. And the, I can, I mean, I could see it. I could see him having that side to himself that wasn't shown. So maybe they're going to do him dirty this season and be like, well, you got the good edit last year. So buckle up, baby. Here comes the bad one. (laughs) (laughs) I am looking forward to it. Okay. It's crazy that we've been speaking for 30 minutes and haven't even gotten to the biggest Bravo news of the week, at least in terms of what was on our TV screen, which was the Real Housewives of Potomac reunion part one. Have you ever seen a part one do as much as this part one did? I mean, I had heard the rumors that Andy was like, I swear we could get four episodes out of this. And I never really believe Andy when he's like, it was amazing, because he always says that about everything. It's like his children, you know, they're presenting him like a a shitty crayon drawing. He's like, perfect. I'm going to put it up for everyone to see. (laughs) But this, honestly, for this to be part one of the reunion was wild. The binder is going to be an artifact at BravoCon. It's going to go down in history. This is going to change the scope of reunions. I think we're going to, we're moving towards an era of like PowerPoints and laser pointers. Like I was just like, it was excellent television. I'm here for it. The ladies of Bitch Sesh, they did a Bitch Sesh Christmas Hanukkah extravaganza. And they, (laughs) they talked about Monique's binder, like needs to be along in a museum with like the Dead Sea Scrolls. (laughs) (laughs) But it made me laugh so hard. It was so good. And I feel like less so on Potomac, but on a lot of these housewives shows, there's a lot of things that aren't shown or aren't said. It's like an agreement Mm -hmm. among everyone that we're not going to go there. And everyone else knows what there is. Like we have ideas, right? Because I've had multiple people on my podcast who had either been at Jamal's church as members or have family that had been at his church. And it was widely known that he cheated on her and had lots of children out of wedlock with the women at his church that he cheated on Giselle with. And she talked about it, right? Like, from the beginning. Right, cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. (laughs) But to hear, and then we hear this season her dad, you know, thinking the mic is off, talking about, you know, poorly about Jamal. But to then 
see, like, hear the receipts with his phone number. And she read the phone number out, Monique. And then Giselle is like, yeah, that that's his phone number. You could, like, see the panic wash over her eyes of being like, well, I can't say it's not because it is. Like, yep, that's her phone. And I think Candace spoke for all of us of, well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Or was it Andy that said that? I think... I think it was um, Candace. Oh. Yeah. She was trying to make it seem like, I don't know, she was just throwing whatever she could back at Monique, and none yeah. of it was landing. And then at one point, everyone was silent. Yeah, that was... So this is the thing. I have been... I've leaned Team Candace because I think that Monique's inability to apologize and 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 there she's doing the Tom Sandoval um, apology of like I'm sorry but she pushed me I'm sorry but I was defending myself and I wish I think I would have been Team Monique if she had just said like I really messed up I I was pushed to my breaking point a lot was going on behind the scenes I shouldn't have reacted the way that I did that's the end no but. But then it was interesting to see her go so hard after Giselle. And I know there are many tabs we're going to get to, which I'm very excited about. But it's like, I don't understand. Now she's doing the very things that she was so upset that the other women allegedly did to her family off screen of bringing up these rumors and, you know, tearing down her family. And now she's basically doing the same thing to Giselle, where it's like at the start of the season, you were making pancakes with Giselle and you were you know, saying you're fine with her. So why now? You know what I mean? Yeah, I have a lot of questions about Monique. I've definitely not been like 100% team Monique at all. I have difficulty, like how people have difficulty putting some other housewives and what they say off camera, like, Mm -hmm. you know, with Kelly Dodd or whatever, like with Monique being an anti-vaxxer and a conspiracy theorist, like that's Mm -hmm. something that I have difficulty with. And I appreciate her on my screen and I appreciate what she brings, but I I can't like she's never brought that up on camera. God, thank God. But um, it is like, I can't stand her. I actually don't stand any housewife. I don't believe in like officially like going, you know, balls to the wall. Like I I have what I call. Yeah. I have what I call my top five. That's like a rotating door of any, at any moment who are my top five housewives. But I mean, I give them the boot quite frequently and I'm like publicly (laughs) announcing like, Oh, they're out. (laughs) Like, yeah, I I have that spot available, but it's more like a starting lineup of a basketball team. I'm like, Oh, sorry. You're cut from the team. Go sit on the bench over there, please. I have this idea in my head of what I wish Monique had done this season. Mm -hmm. And I wish she had spoken about the rumors with her and her trainer. I wish she had said, this is exactly why I'm upset with Giselle. I am going to befriend her because you want to keep your enemies close. You know, and then we would know what was going on, why they were she was acting that way. I feel like she befriended Giselle because she was still mad at Candace. I think there was a real friendship between Monique and Candace. And so when these rumors happened, I, I think she views Giselle as like a coworker. So she's like, oh, this bitch is doing this. But like Candace and her were actually friends. So if Candace was involved in whatever capacity, I could see Monique being like, okay, well, I'm I'm mad at you because we were actually friends. And I feel I felt like I got the vibe that, that, that Monique befriended Giselle at the start of the season because she wanted to ice Candace out. She wanted to alienate Candace so that she wasn't being filmed with and then we could get her off the show. And obviously then 
the altercation happened, the fight happened, and she was the one that was isolated. The thing about Potomac, and I like that they show it all. I like the binder. I like the receipts. I wish that the Housewives shows could go back to not having the social media presence during filming. If they want to bring back the Housewives blogs or whatever, do that. But I would rather them keep all the behind the scenes stuff and then present it all at the reunion if they felt like their story wasn't fully told. Because I feel like there are two types of viewers. There are the viewers that are going to go hunting for information and looking at the Instagram lives and looking at the rumors and looking on Reddit. And then there's people like me where I really watch the show for what's on the show. So it's almost like when I'm having these like team Candace, no team Monique conversations with people, we're speaking two different languages because they're referencing things that I'm like, wait, what? And who is this Gigi woman? And who is this? Like, you know, it, there's just too much information that it makes it, it kind of spoils the plot for me, which might be a hot take. Well, no, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's why some people have difficulty with everything that's going on outside of the show. But Bravo told Monique, don't do any more lives. Like none of the women were allowed to do Instagram lives after Monique's initial one where she spilled all the tea. And it kind of, I mean, Potomac, obviously, I think this is a really strong season, if not their best yet, but it almost like it had the potential if they didn't have the footage to make it deliver, it had the potential of having the Beverly Hills effect of radar online, where if we know everything going into the season, it makes it less enjoyable to watch because we already know what's going to happen. So luckily, I think Potomac was so strong in the footage and the humor and the wit and everything we love about Potomac that her, her lives and other people's lives didn't spoil it but it totally could have like if she was giving away all the information like i i don't know if the season wasn't so strong it could have totally backfired and ruined it yeah definitely in terms of other things from the reunion they kind of went into wendy's story and her as the first time housewife i personally love wendy Mm -hmm. and i feel like you know, especially with what's been going on the last few weeks with people criticizing Dr. Jill Biden using her doctorate title and going after yeah. women who have degrees in, you know, higher education, you know, she can bring up her degrees as much as she wants. I don't think it's as elitist as other people do. I think it actually says more about people who think it's elitist. It's like it says more about you if you're uncomfortable with a educated woman talking about her education. I really like Dr. Wendy. I think she was a great addition to the cast. I think that she, I always give grace and a little wiggle room for first times housewives because you're you're never going to have a perfect first season. I think the closest we got to that was Leah McSweeney. And I think that that was a very generous edit from the editors too. I think she had some help with the editing department that maybe were trying to overcompensate from some of the things about her past. Like they really wanted us to like her, but that's a, that's a Teddy talk for another day. Um, but, (laughs) (laughs) but with Dr. Wendy, I think that she is going to be super funny. I predict she's going to end up being one of the favorites because there were these like little glimpses and these little moments throughout the season where she was a little more, when she was feeling more comfortable and relaxed, you could kind of see like, she's really funny. Mm -hmm. There was this one moment when they were at Monique's cabin that they were putting the worms on the fishing lines. And she's like, Ooh, that looks like a circumcision. Like there's like these little moments (laughs) that I'm like, that's funny. And you weren't like, that wasn't put on like that was just off the cuff, which really excites me. And the thing about the degrees is like, I can understand she's coming on. She's wanting to make an impression, but she's also wanting to 
establish herself. And if you've spent your whole life having to do more to be taken seriously, then somebody questioning that or her perceiving somebody questioning that could be a trigger. And I think that's totally understandable. Yeah. No, I get it. It just, I feel like her talking about her degrees is a kind of semi annoying tick versus Mm -hmm. her trying to act like she's better than everyone. I didn't get the vibe she was better. I always got the impression of when she brought it up. I think she she has probably, and I'm speculating, but I, I think that she's probably had to spend her whole life walking into a room and proving why she deserves to be there. And so I can imagine that when she hears people talking about her degrees or being annoyed by her bringing it up, she's like, this is a very important part of me and I'm proud of this. And I think you're exactly right that it does speak to the other people perceiving it as elitism. Cause I, I think, yeah, like Dr. Wendy, all of them can be pretentious about certain things, but I, yeah. I didn't see the degree conversation. Like, yeah, it was an, okay. After a while I get it. It could be annoying, but I don't think that was elitism. It was only the time where she was talking down to Ashley in the very beginning of the season where she's mm-hmm. like, people like you call me Dr. Wendy. Like that wasn't cool. She knew that wasn't cool. She apologized to Ashley mm-hmm. And they moved forward. But it was interesting to see in the reunion, the conversation about colorism that -hmm. happened, which I was just glad to see happening on the screen. You know, us as two white women probably shouldn't be diving into this conversation, but I was just excited to see it happen. Um, And then there was also the conversation, which I think will come up more later, about the types of words that Candace was using against Monique, like Mm -hmm. calling her, you know, hood rat and hoodlum and calling her ghetto, which is similar to some of the conversations we're seeing on Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting to see these play out. And yeah, you know. Yeah. So I want to give a quick plug because, yeah, I agree. I don't know if you and I are going to like solve. We're not going to solve it. (laughs) It's not. It's not. I don't think that's in our in our uh, cards for today. But I want to give a plug to the Know That podcast. They had Mm -hmm. Taria from What Else Is Going On on this week. And it was it was an excellent episode for many reasons, because number one, Taria is like famously Team Candace and yeah. <laughs> um, Donnie is famously Team Monique. And it I was know. interesting to to hear them have that conversation and it like didn't end in murder, which was really nice. But also they had a very interesting conversation about colorism and just the different sides of the the coin and the different perspectives surrounding colorism of just coming from two people that have the black experience to have, to be able to have that conversation. So I just encourage anybody to go and listen to that episode because it was really, it was a really good one. And I learned a lot from it. Um, But yeah, I think that it's interesting that it almost seems like Monique was using the fact that Candace called her, you know, a hood rat and ghetto as like an argument against Dr. Wendy's point about colorism yeah. when it, it kind of seemed like it could have actually further proven it. You know I, what I mean? That's what I was thinking. I felt like both things were wrong. You know, like it's clear mm-hmm. that when people call Wendy aggressive and she only exhibited like that type of, I don't know, behavior, I guess, in one episode of the entire season, which was a long season. And to- it was her first Housewives fight. fight. Like she, I wouldn't have called it aggressive. I would have no. called it her being extra. Yeah. Like she wanted to have her, she wanted to get, it was clear. She wanted to get her first Housewives fight out of the way. She's like, okay, here's my chance. She took it too far. She did the, you know, call me doctor thing. It was never aggressive. It was her being dramatic or extra or trying to like, 
be the perfect housewife. So I think that she does have a point. Like, why is that word being used to me uh, to describe me when literally like any other person at this table has had a screaming argument because that's our job. We're housewives. Yeah, I I 100% agree with her. And just the fact that that word stuck with her, like when people were mm-hmm. describing her throughout the season, where she only like exhibited being extra that one time, basically, mm-hmm. was enough proof to me to be like, yeah, their people are going after her harder. Her skin is darker. And Ashley exhibits what I think can be quite aggressive behavior sometimes. And like, she's never labeled as aggressive and kind of is always sort of the dainty, you know, I don't know. So I felt like they were making quite a point and Monique was making a point as well. It just probably shouldn't have been made in that same context. Yeah, it was a weird, it was, it was a weird. weird place for it to be talked about. And then, yeah, Monique kind of dismissed it, which was unfortunate. Honestly, it was nice to see Robin's perspective as a light-skinned woman of saying, of her being like, this is not my experience, so we have to listen when somebody says, hey, it's the same as we as white people. If if a black person tells us something is racist, we should listen. Men, if a woman tells you something is sexist, you should listen. You know, if some, if a gay person says something is homophobic, we should listen. Just if a dark skinned woman says that something to her and her experience is colorism and is unfair, then we should listen. And I, I, it was unfortunate. And I, I wonder what after seeing, cause you know, the, the silver lining of all of this is that there is really important conversations being had online. So I'm interested to see if some of the women that weren't as receptive at the reunion will have some introspection and a different perspective after maybe some of the audience feedback. Yeah, I'd be, yeah, that'll be really interesting. It's also hard when you're really frustrated with a housewife and like, as if you're a housewife, right? So Ashley Mm -hmm. being quite frustrated with Wendy in that moment and Monique being frustrated with Wendy, not wanting to say, well, you have a point on this topic, but I disagree with you on this other topic. Like yeah. they, I think they just had trouble separating it a bit too. Yeah, um, totally. Speaking of, you said you give some grace to new housewives. I was wondering what you think of Latoya and Drew as newbies on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Of course, Latoya is a friend of, but I think she filmed as a housewife. It seemed like they were both auditioning for the role. Like they both came in ready to to have that peach. I like both of them. I think it'll be interesting. I actually am liking LaToya a little bit more. I know that she kind of has a bit of like Jen Shaw syndrome for me. I'm like, okay, you really did your research. You're coming in with your housewives checklist. You're going to do it all. But I found her really entertaining. And I think both of them definitely have a story to tell. I mean, Drew's marriage, like, whoo, yikes. Oh, my God. That was so shocking to watch. Like, at first... It was like, oh, she's got these kids. It's so cute. Her mom is there. And, oh, it must be frustrating for him to be with his wife and all these kids and his mother-in-law nonstop. But then when it turned out that he left for three days and did not tell his wife where he was going, I can't imagine any situation in which that's ever okay. Ever. In a pandemic, and he went to Florida. <laughs> like he went to Florida. I, 
there is just so much there and I have so many follow-up questions. I need more answers when it comes to that camera that he was allegedly spying on them. Like he's taking screenshots of her sleeping. I'm like, are you collecting evidence for a custody battle? Like what is the motive here? He just seems like super gaslighty. Yeah. And he just got so angry. And when she was like, well, you wanted to talk about all of this, you brought up that we could have a conversation right now. So I'm trying to have a conversation. And I think he didn't like that it was on camera. I think he didn't like that. But he started it like I the know. subtext for me when he when she was like, you want to talk about this now? It was like, you you want to talk about this on camera? We can talk about this on camera. It was wild. I I don't know. I I just wanted her to get out of it. It's so hard. I'm, you know, unmarried. And so I don't know all of the work that goes into keeping a marriage. And when you have children, all of those ties. And there's so many times where I watch these shows where I'm like, leave, you know, and I make right. it, I make it sound so easy. And it's not so easy. But like with Kenya, and then now with Drew, I just yeah. want to be like red flags. They will hurt you. These men will hurt you. They'll do bad things like Mark Daly is going to try and get custody of his kid. He's never spent a night alone with her, but he wants to do it to be vindictive to Kenya. And she said he's going to do it for I I don't know, like what exact wording she used, but basically for shits and giggles, like he's going to do it just to make her life hard. I'm like, what a despicable human. And the fact that she's still with him. And say now he's trying. It's always like on camera we see all this stuff. And then off camera you hear Kenyan interviews be like, well, he's really getting his act together. I don't want to hear it from Kenya anymore. It's uh, I worry now for the kid. This isn't just you. Yeah, it's so hard because obviously like it, it has to be. And I know, you know, everybody has had that friend or been that friend. I've been the friend and the friend, but that have has been in this toxic relationship and they talk about leaving and they talk about we're going to break up. And then, you know, you see them at a party together and it's like, oh, well, it, things have changed where, you know, he's really working on himself. And you just want to like at some point you have to take a step back and be like, all right, you got to figure this out on your own. Yeah. And for her, it's just so sad because it's clear with Kenya. I mean, we're getting a much softer. Kenya now we're two episodes in there's plenty of time for Kenya Kenya to come out (laughs) but but she's so like vulnerable and you just feel for her because it's like you can just see that she's really going through it and it's so like it's so tough to see I know I know and she doesn't have like a mom or someone that can step in and be like okay girl this is what we're doing Mm -hmm. like I'm driving this bus for a little bit yeah yeah, so I'm interested to see. It kind of seems like she's going to get a pretty good edit this year. I kind of wonder, is Cynthia going to be the villain? I think so. And I also think she is in real life. It's a hot, Ooh, take. hot take. Okay, <laughs> only this year. Only this year. Okay. She is being so selfish about her wedding. And mm-hmm. I always have issues with people who focus more on a wedding than a marriage than a marriage yeah it seems to be a pretty uniquely american thing like weddings aren't as big in other i mean there'll be a big wedding but the level of planning and effort Mm -hmm. and um the whole economy is built around weddings you know is different in some other places and so to see someone and then this is not her first wedding it's like she's trying to undo everything that happened with Peter and recreate the wedding with Peter, but with the person who she thinks is the right groom. 
And on the right day, at the right time. The focus on the day is a red flag for me. That's 10, 10, 20, 10, 10, 20, 10, 10, 20. And it's like, okay, this is a marriage. Like, I, I just feel like for her, like there are probably so many brides watching that are getting so upset watching and triggered yeah. watching. Cause I know I've had family members and friends that have had to make really difficult, challenging decisions. And I don't think there's anything wrong. If you want the big shebang, if you want the wedding, if you want all the bells and whistles, like you deserve that, that's good. Then, and I've had some I've had some family members be like, okay, 2022, here we come. Like, we're not even going to do, we're not even going to touch 2021. Like we're going to, we want to do it big. We want to do it right. We want to do it the way we want to do it. And then I've had some friends be like, no, you know what? Courthouse wedding. We'll have a celebration later. So I don't think there's anything wrong if Cynthia wants the on-camera huge big redo wedding. Yeah. yeah. For her to basically be like, no, I'm just going to do it is just so incredibly selfish. And she's very lucky that there wasn't a huge outbreak as a result of her wedding, because there are weddings that have been much smaller than her 250-person wedding that have led to multiple deaths. Multiple. I think it was Karen Huger that said she was at the wedding and she left when people started taking their masks off. That was Giselle. Giselle, okay. Like, she basically said she left before the toast, left before the cutting of the cake, because no one was really... It was like they had a plan to do it outside, but mm-hmm. there was a tropical storm. And they moved everybody because it had to be on that day and because people it were was in October, in which is notorious for for storms. It's just it's just really hard to watch because you're putting so many people at risk. And yes, you're helping this venue get money. Yes, you're helping the wedding photographer and the cake and all that, but there is this article in a Texas magazine this week that outlined what weddings have been like in Texas and photographers that have gotten really ill, including Mm -hmm. one where the groom ended up testing positive the day of the wedding for COVID and they didn't tell her. And then they told her and she had like asthma and and had young children. And it's just the amount of selfishness. That's like negligence. That's like straight up like medical negligence. It really, it's, it's tough. And I think with Cynthia and, and it's the hard part is that people flew in, like people were coming in from outside of Atlanta and it's also hard to watch um, the Real Houses Atlanta film where they're wearing these face shields with like incorrectly. Okay. So my sister-in-law calls the face shields, the pullout method. Cause she's like, okay, I mean, I guess it's safer, but like you really need the mask underneath. I had this conversation on my Patreon with Kai from the real housewives orders where we talked about, like, I would almost rather he's, he made the suggestion that there could be like a disclaimer at the start of the show being like all cast members were tested. It was a closed set and we can just remember that it's a set and they're all tested. But when they do this like song and dance of like, look, we're being safe. I've got my tape measure. I'm like, okay, but you're not actually being safe. Like you're still doing air kisses. You're still getting inches from each other's face. Like I would rather just know, okay, it's a set and they're all in each other's bubbles than have this like song and dance. But the irony about her wedding is that there were two Bravo weddings that day. And the one that is the groom was a Fox News reporter was safer. Yeah. Like what? And also had to do because California had stricter guidelines. And so Kelly and Rick decided to keep it tight, keep it small, not have all the bells and whistles. They knew this wasn't their first weddings 
or their mm-hmm. second. So they're like, we're just going to keep the people that are closest to us. And, you know, we can continue celebrating our marriage throughout the rest of the next few years with everyone that couldn't make it. And this is just a, a side note. Did you do you follow Rick's daughter on Instagram? Yeah, we're friendly. Actually, we were supposed oh, to really? meet up. Yeah. That's amazing. She she is like I find her so funny, but her Instagram stories that day of oh, Veronica's so, stories or show shows. Um, Veronica's stories. Yeah. The one Topanga on Instagram. Yeah, not Topanga. Yeah. Um yeah, so she, she her stories that day was like, "Oh, look, the third circle of hell has cake." And I was just like <laughs> dying laughing well we can we can talk a bit about the oc too but i want to get to salt lake but it was interesting that veronica was mentioned this week by kelly in the real housewives of oc when they were having kind of discussion and arguments on race and she was like well rick's daughter thinks that you know he's this conservative and (laughs) like and i think gina goes well he is a reporter on fox news so i could see why she would think that God, it's been so interesting um, to see just the evolution of Kelly Dodd. It really is like a perfect example of like what mainstream, what media in general, whichever, you know, I think obviously Fox News is much different than like CNN, but like when you're watching one thing and only one thing, the way that you're, it slowly seeps into your, the, the, just into your brain. Because remember when she first started dating him and she's like, yeah, we have different differences in like political differences, but you know, he makes some good points, but I'm still over here. And then like slowly it was just like a merging of the minds. And now she's just full like Fox news. I think she goes farther than Fox news with some of her conspiracy stuff. Ugh, yeah. You know, I actually, so I haven't been watching OC. I, I see clips here and there, but I just like, I don't need to relive the start of COVID through Kelly Dodd's eyes. Yeah. I've been watching it primarily for Bronwyn's storyline. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's definitely tough watching. I mean, she said, you know, I should have been in an inpatient facility during all of this, yeah. but there's just been a lot of things that have been uncovered, including her hitting Sean. Um, which is really tough. I'm sure we'll get to all of it on the reunion. But it's interesting when they're getting to the part where they're talking a lot about Black Lives Matter and, you know, the racial justice movements. And it sounds like some of the other women believe that Bronwyn's a bit performative in her activism, which I, as an outsider, could see, like, someone who's never really cared about this or never talked about any of it all of a sudden going to every protest and then having a photographer take a professional photo of her at the protest and making sure that it goes out to news outlets. You know, yeah. I, I could see that point. I can see that point, but I... And again, I'm not watching, so this is just based on, you know, what I've seen and also knowing the women. It's hard if they're making that point to, like, discount the movement. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, if, they, if, they're, oh, if they're picking at her... Totally. Or are they all... Like, are they all pro Black Lives Matter? Like, where are they falling in the spectrum? It's hard to tell. It seems like everyone seems some sort of, like, validity with the movement. Okay. Um, and it appears that Kelly seems to be focusing more on Bronwyn being a hypocrite okay. and performative than against the movement. She keeps focusing on, like, the violence, and that's not the main... She's, like, getting lost. But Mm -hmm. Gina said, you know, well, I was arrested last year, and at no point did I fear for my life 
or fear yeah. that I would be treated differently. And like that definitely has to do with the color of my skin. And if I was a black yeah. woman or a black man, like it may not have gone the same way. And I was like, that takes a lot of like important realization. Yeah, and that I have chills. Yeah, that's such a like that's such a personal point for her. Like I can see how that is like a really personal journey that she's come come through. It's and then the other really intense thing this week was Shane was violently ill with COVID and it was really scary mm-hmm. and he didn't even test positive. Like Emily tested positive and he tested negative, but he clearly was more sick than her. And then she had to leave him at the emergency room because he was coughing up blood. And she's like, I can't take care of him anymore. Like, I don't know what else to do. I, I felt so bad, but I would also hope that after that experience that they would, you know, talk about the importance of not getting sick and wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And she was out and about like, as if, her antibodies are going to last forever. And I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to go into the OC. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have, I'm just going to leave it at this. I have my eye on her and I think that she is a very smart woman. And I think that she maybe is a little more, has a little bit more impulse control, but from the things that I have seen her liking, I wonder if her views align a little bit more with Kelly Dodd and Monique. Oh. A hundred percent. She's like way I, worse than both of them. She mm-hmm. follows Liz Crokin um, on Instagram, who is like one of the top QAnon um, conspiracy yeah. theorists yep. and who runs a QAnon Etsy account. And she had been <laughs> kicked off. Of- I'm sorry. That is like the most 2020 thing I've ever heard. <laughs> she runs a QAnon Etsy shop. With like merch. She is full on merch and oh she is God. insane. She lives in Orange County and she got banned from Instagram and then came up as like Lizzie Crokin. And I've been following this because I follow a lot of um, reporters who follow like these different conspiracy theories. And she popped up with like a burner account for a little bit, only hours, I would say four hours tops before it got shut down. The only housewife that was following her was Emily. Wow. So she like knew about it and was already on it. Wow. Yeah. I don't trust. Wow, Bethany, wow. Yeah, there is something really off with Emily, but she presents so well. Mm-hmm. Because she, she's smart. She's a, she's, she's really very, smart. very smart, so she knows how to play the game. Wow. Okay. I know we don't have much time left, but I really want to get into Salt Lake City briefly. Yes, I, I will make time for Salt Lake City. Yeah, let's <laughs> I do just it. absolutely love it. So this week on the show, we saw so much. We saw Whitney's party for Justin. Jen and Mary have another conversation where Jen claims she never called her a grandpa fucker. (laughs) And we see Mary and Charlinda being related, but not really being close or knowing each other, despite Charlinda working for Mary for two decades, Meredith and Brooks and their fashion, Heather having some game, Katie and Lala. I mean, where do we start? Let's start with Charlinda because I found this profoundly troubling. I just like for somebody to work in your home, for that many years and you not have a relationship even with your staff or with somebody that's on your payroll, like that's disturbing to me. And that kind of shows a weird, like talk about elitism or classism that you're not going to get to know the people that are in your home, like serving you space food um, and wearing a hairnet. But then for her, the way she described it of this is my grandfather's brother's daughter. And I'm like, okay, so you're related. This is your cousin. Like what? 
I don't know. I am very troubled with Mary. I actually feel like she could potentially be the most troubled person I've seen on Bravo since like an episode two seasons ago of Below Deck. Yeah. Or like a old school Kim Richards. But there's like, there's something insidious about Mary. There's a darkness to Mary that there wasn't with Kim. Like Kim had a darkness because of her past and the trauma and the things that she's been through. But there's nothing inherently like villainous about Kim. Whereas Mary, I mean, she's fascinating to watch. She's an amazing character on my television, but it's like she she is a victim and she's she's traumatized by things she's been through, but that doesn't mean that she can't also be victimizing others. You know what I mean? Totally. Hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. And, and Kim never really hurt people. She hurt herself and then her family around her. Right. But she wasn't. It, it and that was because was of her addiction. addiction. Like, yeah, she hurt her family because, you know, they were taking care of her and worrying about her, but it wasn't something that she she wasn't berating people for not giving her money from her church. I mean, those clips are wild. And the amount of money that she has. I mean, and this is another, I mean, circles become circles going back to the Erica Jane thing. It's like, so now (laughs) Mary has come on the show and is showing off her designer. She's giving people AirPods that are $2,000. Like she's got beta fish. She's got Valter. And and I can only imagine being a member of her congregation and being like, but, but what, what, like what? I don't know. I think she is someone who not just gaslights people, but like fully changes their entire realm of thinking. It's like when you're a, a member of a leader. cult. Yeah. Yeah. When you're a member of a cult, you're not going to see, oh, I have no money and I'm giving it to this person that has everything. Mm -hmm. You just must view it differently. And I need to talk to Erin Martin, who like she was um, from Pink Shade. She was born into a cult and she had a podcast about it called Cult Talk, where she interviewed her mom and other people from the cult that she was born into. Oh my God. I think that my husband listens to that or listened to it. It's he's, really good. And now she's yeah. doing a whole thing, I think with like the BBC where she's like looking into various yeah. cults and stuff and she's fascinating. So I need to get her take on Mary. Yeah, yeah. definitely. There's something, I mean, she says that like, so if you look at old photos of Mary, her complexion was much darker. Yes. And now she says that her complexion is lighter because God and Jesus are shining through her, which like <gasps> that statement itself is so problematic to be like, okay, so God touches you and you become lighter. But also for her, like I've allegedly, and again, this is all hearsay, but I've seen people from her congregation coming out and saying that she claims to be some version of Jesus, either him talking through her or her channeling God. But like, she definitely is putting on herself in a pedestal of like, I am in touch with God directly. Oh man, she is really troubling. And the racial thing she says, I'm going to leave it to other podcasters who have more to say about this, but it, I found it very troubling that she makes racialized comments towards Jen and about other black people and then what she said about like convenience stores, like it, it was really yeah. tough. And she hasn't <sighs> like, even in her comments, she's been commenting a lot of, I mean, some of her comments, it's like, 
reading like mad libs because it's like what like she just threw in an adjective and a verb there but even in her comments she's not saying she didn't say it like she's admitted that she has made those comments about the 7-eleven so i can understand jen like it makes it actually makes me understand jen a little bit more that like all of the things that she has been so upset with mary like the underlying thing is that she heard her say this and so it's like that planted the seed of like i do not like this bitch Yeah, so I know someone who interviewed Jen, and I guess, I don't know if the interview has been made public yet, and like she wrote an expose on Jen and said that most of the things underpinning Jen and Mary's like fighting actually has to do with things that weren't captured on camera, but that, you know, Mary said to Jen that were very racial in nature, and that led to Jen being so upset and kind of like redirecting her anger towards the not racial things that she said. Right. And then bringing them up later. So I'll, I'll definitely publicly post it once the article goes public, if, if, if it goes public, but wanted to get your thoughts also on Meredith and Brooks. I mean, (laughs) I don't even know where to begin. I really like Meredith. I like Brooks in theory. I liked him in season or in episode one and two. I liked when he was just like the snarky Greek chorus. Like I would love a a quick cut to him rolling his eyes. I don't need him to be an unofficial housewife that it seems to be that he is in the running for. I, I was laughing out out loud at them trying to get ready for this fashion show and the nonchalance and the monotone (laughs) voices of like the, the world was burning down and they were like, Oh no, should we call someone? Are you what should we do? I'm like I the this could be an SNL sketch of like the most monotone family in the world. I was dying. So I was watching it um and my dog started freaking out because the <laughs> fire alarm went off and then their dog started barking and then my dog started barking and it was like midnight when I was watching this and my dog's like running around barking. I'm like trying to calm her down. She ran under the bed. I couldn't get her out from under the bed. Like she was totally feeling the chaos from that scene. So your dog had a more appropriate response than the (laughs) people actually in the scene. My dog lost her shit just hearing the sounds from the TV. (laughs) And when like the, because sometimes when there is a flood, it trips the fire alarm. Okay. I've learned this after living through a fire and having situations like this happen. So it's crazy that they're like, oh, oh, it's the toilet. The toilet must be overflowing. Oh, oh Brooks, fun. are you almost ready? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, it was like you almost need to like you know how the podcast option there's an option to like speed it up yeah. half or double speed like I just needed to do that in the scene of like all right let's get a little pep in our step I just, your house is flooding I have such a um like traumatic response to hearing fire alarms like go off too and so to like hear that like I was like oh my god they have to stop it stop it stop it stop it <laughs> we need to talk offline because I have also lived through a house fire and yeah. had PTSD from it. So we have some things in common of, you know, that. So I have the same response. So I think that it was, it was almost good that their response was so like, so ridiculous that it was making me laugh because I think if they were reacting appropriately, like my blood pressure would fully have been like going up, but their nonchalance made me like, wow, this is a ridiculous response to this situation. (laughs) So good. Any final thoughts on Salt Lake? 
I'm just continuing to like be delighted by it every single week. I'm I'm really excited for it. I'm sad to see that they're already filming the reunion because I know we knew that it was going to be a short season, but I just like, isn't it wild to think that we just like a couple months ago didn't have Salt Lake City? I can't imagine a world without it now. I know. I mean, and I said earlier in this podcast that I don't stand any housewife, but I take it back. I stand Heather. I really, really like her. I find her so endearing and sweet. And it was really awesome on when Katie came on my live. She basically said Heather and Whitney are exactly the way they've been portrayed. That's how they are in real life. She's like, they're literally the nicest people I've ever met. I love them. I love Whitney, too. Absolutely love her. Want to go to Justin's 53rd birthday party. I do, too. I want her to throw my next birthday party. That yes. looks like an amazing time. And I just have to say, my my favorite remains Lisa Barlow, which I know is a hot take. She wasn't in this episode a lot, but I've been, um, my new quest. So I, I did achieve, I did unlock the lover boy. My new quest is Vita tequila. And I did like a public shout out to her of like, Hey, would love to have some, like would die for some Vita tequila. And she slid into my DMS and was like, I bet you would. I love that for you. And I'm like, this is actually the perfect response. response. <laughs> And you're like, can I touch it? Can I touch? (laughs) Somebody said it's so funny to watch her scenes as if everything she says is like immense sarcasm. And it is, it's like, it's my new favorite game to play because everything she says is so, talk about monotone. But if you think of her saying everything as sarcasm, it is so fun to watch. And I wonder if she means it at least half the time. But that's the thing. That's the thing I love about her is I'm like, are you in on the joke or are you just so kooky that you can't hide it? Like, I cannot (laughs) tell with her. So good. Well, we should wrap up. Um, Any hot takes from Southern Charm? Are you watching it all? I am not. I'm not watching. Um, I'm not like boycotting or anything. I just I don't care to I don't care to dabble over there anymore. That is totally reasonable. Well, thank you so much for being on this week. There was so much to cover. Where can everyone find you, your Patreon, um, your IG lives? Yes, you can follow me at Ono Bravo on Instagram. I go live on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. I will be having a Sunday show this week where um, my sister and I, my sister-in-law and I are going to just be kind of doing a year in review recap, and then we'll be jumping into some Instagram lives in the new year. I'm going to take off, you know, a couple of weeks for the holidays, but I have some really fun guests lined up for the new year, and I need to have you back too because I had yes. so much fun when you came on my live. <laughs> I told a lot of stories about my dog, Stassi. I I mean, that was like the most I've laughed. It, like it was so <laughs> much fun. So yeah, I definitely have to have you back. But yeah, if the people want to follow me over there and then I am starting to do more recaps on my Patreon, the link is in my bio, just because there's so much on right now. I can't possibly cover it just on my Instagram lives. I know it's hard. It was hard to get through it today, but thank you for kind of going through it with me. <laughs> I was happy to. I always love chatting with you. And I, like I said, at the top of the episode, when that Erica stuff came out, I was like, oh, thank God I have somebody to talk about it with. I was trying to explain it to my stepmom this morning. And it like, like 30 minutes later, she's asking so many questions. <laughs> she, she's a financial planner. And she goes, see, if this woman would have just taken a little bit of her husband's money and invested it separately in her own, like 
she wouldn't have to worry about any of these things and she wouldn't have to rely on him. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I don't, I don't think that was her goal. <laughs> it's expensive to be her. It's expensive to be her and it all comes full circle. Well, thank you so much for joining and we will catch up soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to go and leave it a nice review and be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at ITRL underscore podcast. That stands for is this real life underscore podcast. Have a great week and Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everyone. Also, you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.